Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of First United Methodist Church in Opelika. We'd love for you to join us for worship each Sunday at 9 o'clock or 10.30 a.m. To learn more about First United Methodist, visit us online at fumcopelika.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at fumcopelika. Thanks for tuning in. Reading this morning is going to come uh, from the fourth chapter of Luke's Gospel. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible with you, I encourage you to get your phone out, open up a Bible app or Google Luke 4, or grab one of the pew Bibles off the hymnal shelf in front of you. This morning, I'm not going to be reading Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, which is, if you've been here the last few weeks, you know we've read that four weeks in a row. Uh, This morning, we're going to go to the next section. Uh, And so I'm going to read Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. Uh, And out of reverence for the Lord and for his word, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we listen now together. For the word of the Lord. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. To proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Pray with me, please. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks that it never returns void. We give you thanks that you take it and use it to shape us and form us, to grow in us your likeness, to root out those things that are not of you. And so, Lord, we pray right now that you would unleash your Holy Spirit 
Lord, that you would not hold back the work that you long to do. We tell you together that we want what you want. We want your will. We want your way. And so use these moments to shape us and form us and to accomplish what you want. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday afternoon, I was uh, making my way back up to the church uh, for afternoon activities, for uh, confirmation stuff, for kids' things that were going on. And uh, as I normally do, I was driving up Frederick Road and uh, got to the roundabout there uh, where Auburn Street and Martin Luther King Boulevard and Frederick Road intersect. Uh, and as I normally do approaching the roundabout, I kind of slowed down and uh, looked to make sure that there was no one in the circle, and then I just rolled right on into it because that's not a stop sign. Can I get an amen? And so I rolled in, and I was cruising on around, going to pull off on Auburn Street like I do multiple times a day. And as I came around and began to pass Martin Luther King Boulevard and looked towards Auburn Street, there was a car coming toward me. <laughs> Thankfully, neither of us were going very fast. And so I put on the brakes, and they put on the brakes. And I could look in the front windshield and see that it was a very elderly lady who was driving a very old vehicle and you could tell that she was anxious and scared and had encountered something that she was not familiar with uh, and so I kind of she stopped and I pulled on through and I was able to look in the rearview mirror that she was able to get and turn onto Martin Luther King Boulevard so thankfully it was uh, not something that became uh, worse than it could have been. But I got to thinking about uh, how that woman approached the traffic circle and how it resembles the way that you and I often approach our lives. Is that sometimes we're going along the path of life and we can see the vision and know where we want to go. We understand the, the outcome that we want to have. We see that picture painted clearly. But rather than go by the path that's been designed... Rather than follow the way that God may want us to walk, work or walk, we want to take matters into our own hands. We want to turn left into the traffic circle. We want to shortcut the path that God has for us. And we want to just do whatever we can to get to where we want to go without having to go through the path that's been laid out. That is so true in so many aspects of our lives. You don't even really need me to unpack that for you this morning because you can probably already think of the ways that you might think of a dream or a vision of what you want, whether it's something in your career, whether it's something you want for your family, whether it's something you want financial, whether it's something you want in school, in your academic life, whether it's something you want in extracurriculars or hobbies or abilities, whether it's some kind of skill you've been working toward. You want the outcome. But rather than walking through the path that is laid out that will guarantee we get what it is that we want, that vision, we want to take a shortcut. We want to skip the journey. We want to skip the path. We want to turn left into the traffic circle and just cut over to where we want to go as quick as we possibly can. Nowhere is that more true than in your relationship with God. That plays out in our relationship with God over and over and over again in so many circumstances and so many situations. 
If you've been tracking with us over the last few weeks, then you know, as I mentioned a minute ago, that we stopped and looked for several weeks at the first few verses of Luke chapter 4 as we begun to look at what Jesus is doing and uh, how he's emerging on to the stage of ministry. Uh, and today we're not looking back at that series of temptations anymore, but we're moving on to the next place where we see Jesus working. Uh, today we're beginning a sermon series that we're calling Joining Jesus. As we look at the ministry, of what Jesus did and begin to think about what he came to do and the things that he uh, gave his time and attention to doing and what that means for you and me. What does it mean for you and me as individuals that if we say we are followers of Jesus, what should the things we do in our lives look like? If as a church we say we want to make lifetime followers of Jesus, then what kind of activities or where should we be putting our attention or who should we be working with or where should we be going or what should we be doing? And so in this season that we're walking through, particularly all the way up to Easter through the Lenten season, we want to take and look at the things that we see Jesus doing and say, what would it look like for us to join Jesus, to be a part of his ministry, his path, and the way that he's laying out the advancement of his kingdom. After Jesus finished the temptation scene that we looked at for the last several weeks, uh, he came out of the wilderness and uh, began to make his way back to the area of Israel that was known as the Galilee. And and as he made his way there, uh, people began to, to hear about him. It's really the first time that we know that people were talking about Jesus or that he was doing anything that that people began to wonder. He may have, as a kid, had a few people here and there go, man, that Jesus, he sure seems like a special kid. But he had lived a fairly mundane life, and there wasn't a whole lot that we know about his childhood. He had grown up working in his father Joseph's, uh, his earthly father Joseph's business as a construction worker, a carpenter, some kind of uh, hands-on skilled tradesman. But after that moment where he encountered the devil, where he was authorized and validated for the ministry that God had set him apart for, he began to make his way into different synagogues. He began to teach. He began to heal. He began to deliver people from demons and spirits. And all of a sudden, the word started to spread. We know at least that he had already been to Capernaum and uh, done something there when he finally makes his way back to his hometown. He shows up in Nazareth at the end of one week, and as the Sabbath was approaching on Friday evening when the Jews would have gathered to go to the synagogue, Jesus does what he does every Sabbath day. He makes his way to the synagogue where he was. And probably by this point, one of the recurring things that he would have had in his life was that he also would stand up and read in the synagogue service. The typical Jewish synagogue service would have had about seven different readers in it. One of them would have been a priest. One of them would have been a Levite. And then five of them would have just been members of the congregation that were called on to serve. Jesus most likely is filling one of those roles. One of the people just called up out of the audience who said, yeah, I'll I'll read one of the texts today. And so there in Nazareth, he makes his way up onto the platform and the attendant in the synagogue hands him the scroll and he rolls the scroll out and he gets to chapter 61 of the book of Isaiah. We don't know if this was an ascribed text for that day, if they had some kind of regular pattern of reading and so this was the text that was given to him to read or if when he stood up that day, he said, this is the text that I need to read. But either way, when he makes his way to Isaiah 61, he begins to read and reads almost the exact version 
that you would find if you swapped over in your own Bible to Isaiah 61. The message that he says is bold. The message that he says is big and it's powerful. There, standing in front of those people reading out of that text, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. To preach good, to, because he has anointed me, to preach good news to the poor he has sent me, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As he finished, the people had heard about what he had been doing and uh, perhaps they wondered and maybe even the moment right then was very poignant. We have no way to know what they were thinking. But no sooner had he finished reading than he rolled the text up and he did what every uh, reader would have done is that then they sit down, not back in their seat down in the congregation, but on the platform because that's how they would teach. And he sat down and every eye was looking at him, wondering what he was going to say about this text that he had just read. In the moment, he said, this text has come true today in your hearing. This text, all that it promises, everything that, that you as good Jewish people have been waiting for, eager for God to do, everything that you've been anticipating that our generations before us, that our parents, that our grandparents, that our great-grandparents, that their great-great-great-grandparents had been waiting for God to do, it has come true right now. Just the very fact that he would say that is an astounding claim. That he would declare in their midst that he was the one that God had sent. That he was the one who had been promised. That all of those things that they had anticipated for generation after generation after generation was now true in their midst. We could literally spend the next four weeks just looking at this text. Because what it is that Jesus talks about, what it is that he promises, the fulfillment of all these things that he says have so many nuances and so many implications in our life. But on a day when we're on the way to the communion table, we can look at it from a high altitude and see that there are two main focuses that Jesus wants us to hear and to grasp and to understand as he proclaims these words out of the book of Isaiah. The first focus is, the first focus is on himself. It's really amazing the way that Luke records it is that he writes it with emphasis on the word me. Three times, Jesus says who he is and how he has gotten the authority for what he's doing. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he, the Lord, has anointed me. Then he puts in parentheses to preach good news to the poor, which we'll talk about in a second. He says, he has sent me. The focus is clear. That he is the authorized agent. That he is the one sent from the Father. That he is not doing this of his own volition. But he obediently is going where God is leading. The second focus that he makes us look at is what it is that he comes for. This is the closest thing that we see in any of the Bible to Jesus offering us his mission statement. That just doesn't get much press in the Bible, does it? Mission statements. Those. But this is the closest we've got. But if someone sees, Jesus, what is it that you're going to do? 
What is your work going to look, about, look like? Where are you going to put your focus? He says, let me tell you. He says, I'm going to preach good news to the poor. I'm going to proclaim release to the captives. I'm going to give sight to those who can't see, not just physically, but spiritually, those who are blind to who God is and where God is working. I'm going to give sight. I'm going to give liberty and freedom to those who are oppressed. I'm going to announce that the favor of the Lord, the year of the Lord's favor, has begun. He has this message that says, what I've come for is to set people free. Multiple times the word release or liberty shows up in that place because all of the trajectory of Jesus' ministry is to say that I'm going to take people who are bound and stuck, who are trapped, those who can't see, those who are boxed in, and I'm going to break them free. That people don't have to sit in the place where they are. That they don't have to stay in a place of apathy or doubt or struggle. That I am about release and about freedom. Now, it's interesting as we begin to think about joining Jesus and thinking about what it looks like for us to join what he's doing versus us to try and get him to do what we want him to do. Jesus doesn't say some things here, too. You know, he could have said anything. He could have, uh, he didn't have to go to Isaiah 61. He could have uh, given a different message. He could have said, this is what I came for. To get you dressed up on Sunday morning, wearing nice clothes, but not jeans, and go to church every Sunday. This is what I came for, that, that you would sit in a hardback bench and not drink coffee or drink coffee, it's okay, in the sanctuary for an hour, and then you'd go on with your life the exact way you want to live it. He didn't say, I came so that you can punch your ticket to heaven, you'll get some fire insurance, and then a long way down the road, you'll hopefully cash it in and it will have worked. He didn't say, I came so that you'll be better than your next door neighbor, so that you can have a little sense of self-righteousness, and that'll make you feel better and you'll be okay. He said, I came that you would have release. That you wouldn't have to live in a place of boundness and tightness. Where you wouldn't have to live in this place of struggle and apathy. Where you wouldn't have to live in this place of burden and things weighing you down. I don't think he says that he came that we might not never, ever be sad. Or that we might not ever go through hard times or struggles. But he came saying that we should know freedom. It's really interesting because if you keep tracking along... The response at first is amazing. It usually is. The response at first is like, oh, can you believe that this is Joseph's son? Now, we've been reading Luke, so we know this isn't really Joseph's son. Uh, they don't know that. He grew up right here in our own youth group. He's like Gabe Holloway when he comes back for your 40-year uh, anniversary. Ooh, he's one of our own. He's good. He's real good. People love the truth. This is St. Augustine. People love the truth when it enlightens them, but they hate it when it exposes them. And what the people there didn't like was that all of a sudden, 
Jesus was saying that those of you who've been on the inside, you Jews who've endured for 400 years, you people who've walked trying to be faithful to the covenant, now we're going to throw the doors open wide. And what I come to offer, I'm going to offer to everyone. I'm going to invite everyone to come and those who will put their trust in me and those who will lean into me and those who will follow me, that they can all know this freedom and this release, that they can all find that. And all of a sudden those people went, hold on a second, you know, that might be Joseph's son and all, but shouldn't we get some special treatment here? I mean, we've been through 400 years of bad sermons. I mean, we should, we should get something for all that. I mean, they are the older son in Luke 15. They are Jonah going, of course, you're going to be gracious to everyone, so I don't want to go. And they say, hold on a second. Shouldn't I get something? And they begin to assume that they're entitled to some kind of privilege or something special. And Jesus, kind of fast-forwarding to the end, says, you're going to use that phrase, well, doctor, heal yourself, which essentially is take care of those around you before you go sharing it with all those people out there. And he says, you're going to end up missing out on what it is I come for because you begin to assume that you can turn left into the traffic circle. You want a shortcut how to get what it is I'm giving? You want to think that a different set of rules apply to you? And you're going to begin to assume some things and you're going to miss the good news I'm proclaiming. We assume in all kind of places, in all kind of ways. We assume that we're not really poor and in need of a message like this. We assume that we can clean ourselves up, that, that, that you know, we're pretty free. Jesus doesn't have anything else for me. We assume that, that, you know, if we just work hard enough and we're just good enough, everything will be okay. We assume that the message, this message, this one is for the really bad people out there. And that we'll just keep doing it our way. We assume that eventually we'll get it right and we don't really need something that might get crazy or a little uncomfortable. And every time Jesus looks at us the same way he looks at them and says, you're going to end up up missing out on the freedom and the release and the jubilee, the exuberance of life in me. Because you want to assume that you can do it on your own. You want to assume that you can turn left in the traffic circle. You want to assume that you can shortcut the plan and the path and the way I've laid it out and you'll miss what it is I promised to give. It's really the exact same thing as the last temptation we saw, if you were with us through our Tempted series. In the third temptation, what the devil tried to get Jesus to do was to force God to work on his own terms. Was to force God to do things the way he thought. Was to say, God, what you're doing isn't enough. The way you're working isn't right. Let me advance that along for you. And our tendency is to do the same thing. To say, Jesus, the way you laid it out, your plan, your path, your promise, it's not enough. It doesn't work for me. It's uncomfortable. And so I'll just take it into my own hands. The way around it is surrender. 
as we prepare to come to this communion table, that's the goal. Because humility doesn't assume. The more we come to the place of saying, Lord, but for your grace, I am nothing. Lord, without you, I am helpless. Lord, I am a sinner. Until we come to the point where the words that the musicians sang just a few minutes become the words of our life, our sins, they are many. Your mercy is more. Until we come to the point that we can't do it on our own, we're assuming that we've got it under control. Surrender, humility, doesn't assume. Jesus says, I've come. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. To preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's you, and that's me. But if we assume, we'll miss it. Pray with me, please. Good Father, thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for his mission to set us free. Lord, thank you for the release and the jubilee that he longs to give. Lord, may we not be like those that assume we have it all together, that assume that it works on our terms, that assumes that we can force you to work by our agenda. But Lord, may we be people humble, yielded, and given to you that we might know that jubilee, that we might be people, agents, ambassadors of your good news, that we might join you where you are. Lord, we long for more of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.